Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Maryland today is author Bella Gary. Bella, good day to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's a pleasure to have you on Inside Personal Growth. And we're going to be speaking about her book, The Misadventures of an Imperfect Woman. Um, She had a prior book, The Midlife Crisis of a Perfect Woman. And I'm going to ask a question about the prior book. That was in uh, 2020 that she wrote that book. Um, And if you want to learn more about Bella, you can just go to Bella, B-E-L-A, Gary, G-A-R-Y.com. There you'll find more about her. You'll find more about her intuitive writing program that she has. Um, she's a very busy woman, and I think it would be awesome for your, all of my listeners to go up there and check it out. So w- without further ado, I'm going to introduce Bella formally. Uh, she's a writing coach, intuitive healer, and author. Her diverse background includes law, acting, and running a small press publishing company. Inspired by travel and human connection, her writings explores the human experience with a focus on spirituality and personal growth. Bella's journey has been marked by a quest for perfection, but she eventually realized that true happiness lies in embracing imperfection. Uh, She published, as I said earlier, The Midlife Crisis of a Perfect Woman in 2020 and The Misadventures of an Imperfect Woman is her second book. And for all of you, you can go to Amazon and pick up a copy of this book. So, Bella, what intrigued me was, you know, you wrote this prior book with a completely flip-flopped title. (laughs) Um, You know, and that book was The Midlife Crisis of a Perfect Woman. I hope in 2020 you weren't trying to be perfect, and then in 2020... (laughs) You figured out you were going to be imperfect. But the journey of a woman, as you say, was obsessed in search for answers in her life, turned upside down by this intense romantic connection. Um, do these two books, and I know this might sound silly to some of my listeners, because usually when authors write books, there's a connection between them. But is there a connection in any way between where you were in 2020 and this in 2023. <laughs> um, absolutely. When I, uh, it's a standalone book, the misadvent, the new book, the misadventures definitely stands on its own, but it is loosely connected because it's after this woman in the midlife crisis of a perfect woman realized she had been trying to live her life to, you know, being perfect and it didn't work. She met this man, he turned her life upside down and then she became spiritually awakened and believed she was healed. You know, she said, I'm healed. I'm letting him go. I'm empowered. And then it, however, it continues into the second book, The Misadventures, where she realizes she still has a lot of healing to do. She's still obsessed about the past. She's still obsessed about him. And it's all about her misadventures as she tries to forget him, which is, you know, not the best way of healing, just burying everything. But so that's how they are connected is really, and they could, you know, they can stand on their own. I really believe that, but I would, I kind of would like my readers to, you know, make their own decision and whether that's, you know, connected or not. 
I'm always open to to the readers. This is for the reader's interpretation in in many ways. So yes. Well, you have a great quote uh, right at the beginning of the book uh, from Mia Baron. I think that's saying, "In order to heal, we must first forgive." Sometimes that person we must forgive is ourselves. Um, speak with the listeners about this really important element of forgiving ourselves, because when you're imperfect, um, and we're talking about a spiritual message here as well as a personal journey, but the reality is, is um, it's so important when people are perfectionists to realize that self-love, you can't love anyone else unless you can let go and to and love yourself. Can you yeah, comment absolutely. on that one? Because that sure. was a great quote in the book that I just pulled. That was right there. Yes, yes. I think a huge part of healing is forgiving others, yes, which in many ways is much easier than forgiving yourself. Because like you said, if you're trying to be perfect, you're you think, well, you're really hard on yourself, first of all. And you and forgiveness of yourself, you don't even people don't even think about that. I think a lot of the time they just go through and they say, okay, yes, I forgive someone. And and in a way that's easier. And when you look at yourself, you say, oh my gosh, I did all these horrible things, or I made stupid decisions, or I took the wrong path. And you're just so hard on yourself. And really it's all about looking and saying that it's normal. It's part of being human. It's part of being a spiritual soul to make mistakes, to not be perfect. And then you can begin to forgive yourself. But of course, you have to accept all of those things first. And it takes work sometimes for a lot of people, especially those that are seeking or trying to embody perfection. But of all great spiritual philosophies, isn't that one of the biggest things that runs through most of them? I know it's at times people say, you know, in Catholicism, or Christianity, you know, somebody might say, oh, well, you know, unless you repent, you are forgiven. Um, you know, and I think many people carry this story from childhood, whether it w- they were brought up in Catholicism or, or they were Christian or they were Muslim or they were Jewish. It didn't matter because the reality is all of those faiths and religions kind of have a, a similar story when it comes to this. Um, so how would you address that for people? Because they think some of that stuff is very deep-seated. Yeah, no, it it, it is. And, and even sometimes forgiving others, some people hold on to that for a very long time, no matter what, you know, religion or their background, that's still hard, but we never think about ourselves. It's, which is, you know, it's really, it's an important aspect we only think about because we are brought up, okay, you'll be forgiven if you repent and redemption and there's redemption involved in that. But we we're just so hard on ourselves we don't look at that. And I think it's a really important component. You know, for people who maybe just recently became spiritually awakened or finally recognized something in themselves that they wanted to they wanted to develop. Um that's probably the hardest thing is the self-forgiveness. Yeah, it is. And I think your book does a really good job through the way you've weaved it in there. So at the heart of the book, what do you believe is the most potent message or lesson uh, that you want to share with the readers? Uh, the really uh, true, you know, if I was to hit this hard, uh, what 
what would you tell the listeners out there today is really the true message here? Yes, it's hard because I have many in there, but, but I think it is authenticity and you have to, you know, to reach that point, of course, take self-awareness and the desire to heal. And as you heal those things that you fear and the pain that you carry and you accept your imperfections, then you can begin to live an authentic way. You live an authentic life. You, you know, you don't care so much about making millions of dollars or having a million of millions of followers on social media. It's all about just being the real person that you are without the fear of making mistakes. And being true to yourself. Yeah, right? being true to yourself and not being you afraid know, of judgment, really. It's kind of like the Dharma, I mean, in Buddhism. So mm-hmm. um, you know, the reality is is that that is a super potent message. Um, it is. But what personal transformations did you undergo while you were kind of writing this book? And were there any moments of self-discovery that even surprised you? Because, look, you're a writer. You teach intuitive writing uh, at deep levels of intuition. Uh, also comes a connection with the soul. Uh, some people don't really get that. And I think this is a good, important discussion to have is what transformed while you were doing this? What deep connections did you make with your inner soul? Uh, and what was it speaking to you about? Well, it was interesting because I wasn't, I wasn't expecting this. Like you said, for me, I was writing this and I began to embody my character. She embodied me. We became, you know, we were healing together as I wrote. The more I wrote, the more realizations that I had about myself. And the big one was the fear of being alone. Mm. And I think that's a fear for many people afraid of being alone, especially when you're older. And I mean, alone, you know, without a partner, not in a relationship. And although I love spending time by myself, I, it was a huge realization for me. I'm not afraid of dying. A lot of people are afraid of dying. Like death doesn't scare me, but being alone scares me more. So that was, that was one what of the What is it about being alone, Bella, that, you know, I've addressed this in many shows. I go from Eastern philosophy to Western. And, you know, there's this concept. Uh, I had Thomas Moore on here speaking about the eloquence of silence uh, not that long ago. And it was very poignant to me. One of the things we talked about was emptiness. Um, and that obviously is a, is a Buddhist philosophy. But when you really get deep into emptiness, what is it that we always have to fill something up when it's empty? So loneliness to me is something around, well, I'm going to, I'm going to fill it up. You're not going to just fill it up with anybody. You want a relationship with somebody who's significant and has like values. I get that. Um, But can you address that for you? Because if that fear is truly still there and you don't fear dying, right. Which is usually one of the biggest, they say public speaking and dying are the two biggest fears. (laughs) So public speaking, I think you have down. Um, Maybe you're not fearing that one, but dying, you're not fearing. And now you're saying you're fearing being alone. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm dealing with that and I've dealt with that to an extent, but however, I think it's all about when you talk about filling something up, I think it's filling, you know, it's like, I call it, you want to fill that hole in your soul. 
And that is filled with self-love. And it's not, you can get love from others, but once you have that self-love and you love yourself unconditionally, you're going to feel that something is missing. And I think that's really what it's about is just loving yourself. That can fill the hole. And it, the more how did how did you open yourself up or prepare yourself for that? I think I just had been preparing along the way because I write other things. And through for me, when I write, it's you know, like I say, it's intuitive, it's intuitive. I write everything intuitively. My titles come to me intuitively. I meditate, I mean, deep meditations, dreams. I have very vivid dreams that I write down and I journal. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's part of the process is you start to unravel those things that, that you fear and those things that you're, that cause you pain and you begin to understand them. Mm-hmm. Not that you're immediately cured. It's going to take a while. And I don't think we're always, we're, I don't think we're healed completely anyway. It's a lifelong process. It's, but once you understand them, you can react differently in different situations. You can, your feelings shift when you understand why you're afraid of something and, you know, wanting love from others because, you know, helps me would help me feel not so lonely or alone and fill the hole in my heart. I realized I can fill all of that myself. I don't need somebody else to fill that hole. So that helps you become more, I guess, more independent, more of an independent soul. And I don't mean in the physical, I mean, in you need to be on your own as a soul before you can be combined with another soul, have another, have a relationship. Like you said, you've got to love yourself unconditionally before you really can be, you know, enmeshed with somebody else. And I mean, enmeshed in a good way. Some people see enmeshed as all entangled, but I mean, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Wrapped around. Yeah. A wrapped around thing. So what's that, what's that fear? Because, you know, normally the opposite of love and fear and I, and I just finished a book not that long ago. I was a co-author, The Precipice of Life. And I interviewed 23 people that climbed all the highest seven summits in the world. Yeah. And they said, if you're not facing death, you're not living, mm-hmm. meaning the fear. So, you know, obviously every one of those mountain climbers, both men and women who were willing to face those fears, feel like they're living life fully. And I think when you're in relationship with nature or you're in relationship with a person, you have to be willing to face that fear. Would you want to address that? Is there a fear of being connected? Because it's this misadventures and and this fear of being alone. Um, I don't think you could be more alone than when you're on top of a mountain climbing, (laughs) you know, I'm looking at it going, um, yeah. It's pretty interesting, actually. So do you have any insights there? Well, I think that most of um, most of what most of what we do to make ourselves happy in the real world have nothing to do with making ourselves happy. And the people that we choose and the reasons that we choose them are sometimes for not for very positive reasons. We just do mm-hmm. it, you know, toxic, toxic energies, toxic codependence, whatever it is. And we, you know, we don't realize that. And I think that when the fears, the fears that we have about connection, whether I, I think partially we simultaneously fear love and want love. 
and the fear comes from another place, probably from a you know, fear of being vulnerable because of past hurt. So there's these intermeshed things that always play. And, you know, in my character in the book, this was the same thing. She simultaneously feared and wanted things at the same time. So there was this disconnect, um, you know, facing your fears. And you're talking about nature. When I, I did a cross-country trip by myself in the car, just like my character did. My first night in the, um, in this remote cabin, I chose it on purpose. My character, you know, she, it, this was a very similar story. She chose the same thing. It was terrifying. I could not sleep. I had every single light on it, outdoors and indoors. And, but you know what? As the days passed and I kept doing this, I, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to stay on my own. And I think as those things, as I went through those things, that's where my, my not having fear of death, because I started to face the things, you know, I was afraid of being killed. So I'm no longer afraid of that. I, you know, traveling to countries that, and doing things, adventurous things like climbing a mountain, like you said, you, you don't fear death. You may fear other things, but I think doing those challenging, adventurous things that some people would be afraid to do because they're afraid to die, it takes away that fear. So I think. Well, you faced your fears. You faced the you know, fear. You have yeah. To and the and, and I think that the only way through it is to do it. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. and I had a question for you because. You know, how do you feel that societal expectations that that are all around us? Um, look, you were uh, in law at one point, and I'm sure gave it up because you had this desire to do this. Contribute to the misadventures of a woman today, and can you share any anecdotes from the book that particularly address this? Because you know, we see the women's right movement. I was watching a story the other day, Glorious Dynam. It's like, well, did has anything really changed since 1970? Or are we still in the same position kind of fighting for our rights? Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think things have changed personally. I mean, I personally think that. But I think the internet, social media, has in some ways made things worse because, you know, you see these celebrities and influencers and all these personas and, you know, they meet, you know, if they're women, they meet men and it's, they make it look so easy as if you can just, you know, it's so easy. You meet this great man, you have a great life and it's all a persona. It's all fake. So I think those societal pressures are still there. Um, Especially, I mean, I'm speaking for older women in general, because, you know, it's very, you know, you look at ads, movies, books, everywhere you look, it's people looking for a happy ending and meeting and finding true love. And it doesn't work like that. It's not like in the books or in the movies where it's a happily ever after. There's a lot more work involved. Not so that think, fairy, not that Cinderella fairy tale. Not that Cinderella <laughs> fairy tale that we all want when we're young, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that's part of it. It's just aging also as an older woman, you begin to see your, your you worry about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be gray one day. I'm going to have wrinkles. No man's going to want me. Yeah. So there's, there's pressures. I mean, you see the ads and you see these beautiful women. And even in movies, you have, I was reading something yesterday and I think it was Harrison Ford. And I don't remember what movie it was, but he is, you know, I don't know how old he is. He's, he's pretty old, but his, yeah. his female co-star is like half his age. It's like, okay, well, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. It's not reality. And they make it seem like reality. I mean, even in, in dating, I came across men who would say, 
I'm a lot, I was a lot older than the women they usually date and they're my age or older. So maybe it's a post-divorce thing. I don't know, but I think. That- well, you know, I think it's, it's uh, not to interrupt, but it's, it's more prevalent today because of uh, the Aquarian age. I think that we're in that um, these long-term marriages, like Hugh Jackman, 27 years decides that he's getting a divorce the other day. Mm-hmm. Another friend of mine after 25 years, um, decided the other day and I hear more and more of this you know yeah. 25 years in a marriage 30 years in a marriage they're they're leaving or separating and um I, I, the, the question is have they shared it all and is it done and is it this kind of incarnation am I really supposed to start that all over again you know yes. um we see more and more of that. Do you have any comments about that? And what do you hope the readers will gain from embracing that? That would be maybe considered an imperfection. Okay. Because in our society today, there still is, even though people maybe don't want to admit it, um, there's a stigma attached to that because uh, we have these old values about kind of staying married. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think, I mean, speaking from my experience, I reached a point in my marriage when I was, I was taking care of everybody and I was trying to be perfect and create perfect lives for my family and my kids. And I just couldn't take it anymore. My father died and it was an awakening for me. It was okay. I need to do something more. I need to find, not necessarily find somebody else, but just live a life for myself. And I think yet when you talk about that, you know, the Aquarian age, it's all about, you know, evolving spiritual evolution. Mm-hmm. And I think you can't do that if you're stuck. You, mm-hmm. you feel stuck. Not that you're stuck. Some people just feel stuck and they're not. But so if you're stuck, you need to get out of your stuckness and find growth. And I think that's what people are doing. And I don't. Well, and I think that's partially why people are separating. Yeah. No, uh, I, is I one person is moving forward spiritually and another person may or may not be may be caught in their own ways, but uh, that seems to be some of what I see when I ask my friends who go through it, what's going on. Um, you talk about these misadventures. Are there any moments of adversity, whimsicalness, mistakes, or a mix at all, uh, mix up? Uh, can You could share a favorite misadventure from the book. What would be one of your favorite ones? Um. I think that, well, I don't want to give a lot away because there are a lot of little like details here and there, but Mm -hmm. I was going to talk about the cabin one because that one, you know, staying in the cabin and, and, and the whole misadventure of the foxes in the night and all the noise. And, and she comes out with a flashlight and her cell phone and she doesn't know what to do. And she turns on, on every light, locks herself in her room. I mean, to me, that was, that was me because I probably, I did the same thing, but it was also a, um, you know, it was just one of those, one of those things that, that she did that eventually she got over, but it was a, I mean, it was a small one. I mean, I can, I can probably think of a better one than that. Well, it's uh, not small actually, because it's a big fear. Um, it is, it is, it is a big fear. I'm yeah. You know, I mean, look, men. I've, even as a male, I've been there before. I've, you know, yeah, I don't think there's any guy out there that can't say, oh, I went camping and I felt fully, uh, <laughs> you know, fully safe. Um, 
because you are connected to wilderness, you, are there going to be snakes? Are there going to be bears? Are there going to be this? Are there going to be that? Um, you know, and your mind keeps racing and building up a story. And then yeah. the story becomes kind of reality for you. And then you act it out. Um, and that kind of brings me to this um, this question. There's people listening to this now are that are, you know, constantly in pursuit of perfection. Um, often to their own de- uh, detriment. What advice or insights uh, does your book offer them, and what would you tell them? Okay, some of the things are easy to say, but hard to do. But I really believe that they're true. So I'm going to first tell you because I've got several, and it's really not being afraid to make mistakes. <clears throat> that is hard, but you. You, know, you need to learn and grow. And it's it's important to make mistakes. That's how you learn and grow. And sometimes those mistakes end up being bringing beautiful things into your life. So I think it's important. And I don't even like to call them mistakes. I just call them choices. Because one choice leads to another. Um, surrender. You can't control everything or anyone, only yourself. So you just mm-hmm. have to let go and surrender. Love yourself unconditionally. Let go of the past. And write it all down and journal. That is the key. I think if I think journaling and writing are the most important thing to healing and people, I know people struggle with that, but you don't have to write, you know, 10 paragraphs. You can write just a few sentences. So I think that that's, um, that's important. And some of this sounds easy, you know, let, let it go. I can't stand that when people say, oh, just let it go. You can't, you have got to figure Hmm. out what happened. You've got to heal. And then it becomes easier to let go. Yeah, I had Bruce Lipton on here the other day, the biology belief. And I think what happens is, you know, when we're kids up to the age of seven, I think this is important for our listeners as well. You know, there's been programs that have been put into us. We weren't really born with a bunch of programs, but we have these programs. And in the subconscious, they continue to play. And what um, Bella is really saying is she's kind of asking you to look at the program and see if you can rewrite it. Um, yep. And you can rewrite the program. Um, and you mentioned authenticity five minutes ago or so in yes. our conversation. Yes. And I think celebrating authenticity over perfection is is a good one. How does the book add to this narrative? And what's your personal position or stance on this? I mean, because authenticity, I look, um, uh, Brene Brown talks about it at length. <laughs> Um, many of my listeners who subscribe to uh, one of many books talk about authenticity, and it's easier said than done. It's a word, I think, that is overused, but yes. not over applied. <laughs> yes, I, I, agree. I agree. People use, a lot, like you said, people use a lot of things over yeah. and over. They don't really tell you what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in my book, my character goes through huge, huge, well, many transformations, um, in parts of the book as she's dating and meeting men, she's a chameleon. She can be anything that they, the men want her to be. She knows how to read them. And she does that for a long time until, you know, she finally realizes that it's not a really good way to go about living, but she's not being authentic. She, she wants to be authentic and be herself, but at the same time, she wants to be what they want to be because she wants a man. She's very, you know, it's very complicated. So I think 
part of it does have to do with accepting your imperfections and accepting those imperfections really is, like I said, it's a deep dive into your fears and you have to accept them. You can't just say, I fear this and I have this pain. You have to say, I accept this part of myself. I understand why it's there. And that, you know, then once you accept those imperfections, then you can live a more authentic life. So yes, authenticity comes from accepting your imperfections. So I think that that's how they're connected. And once you, you know, once you start to live more authentically with practice, eventually you can really embody that. And it doesn't stay with you all the time. You have to understand you'll have moments where you're not going to feel like you're, you know, operating in an authentic way. You, you, but as long as you see it, I think if you see it, you're like, oh, okay, I see what I did there. I think what's important is just recognizing it, recognizing it, recognizing when you're not being authentic, recognizing when, when, you know, when you're fearing judgment from others, because I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest things also preventing people from being authentic is fearing judgment. And I think that <clears throat> whole concept of trying to read a man and then get him as a result of you being able to change your color, the chameleon yes. concept. I, I think as long as you, I, I, I think if you're doing that intentionally uh, to attract somebody and then you go back to being whoever you are uh, as a result, there's going to be challenges in that relationship because I think the person needs to see you for who you are right up front. Um, and, and then if they don't like it or you don't like them, you say, mm -hmm. okay, great. This isn't working out. And that brings me to this navigating through your own misadventures and how it shaped your resilience. Are there tools or practices you'd recommend to others, uh, from the book around resilience? Again, that's another word. Mm -hmm. And again, this comes down to, I know in the end, you know, our ego is here to protect us in many ways. And in other ways, it's it's very tough to you're you're always gonna have it. Yeah. You're not always going to control it. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um so the question would be in shaping your resilience, are there practices you'd recommend for people to become more resilient? I well, practice makes perfect, as they say. Mm -hmm. Practice makes imperfect, I'm going to say. That's really because you're trying to accept your imperfections. Um, I think some of the things I already mentioned, just facing, you know, looking at your fears and facing them, and which is a process, um, looking inward, not comparing yourself to others because you're a different person and people have their own issues, their own imperfections, and you just deal with yourself trying to follow your own true path, which a lot of people don't even know what their true path is. And I think everybody has a true path and that's very personal. And you will know it when you see it, as you work through a lot of these things, if healing, always thinking that you need healing and not going around saying, oh, I'm healed. I'm fine. I'm moving on because everyone always needs healing, writing, meditating, and you don't just, you don't have to just sit down and deep meditation and think about nothing. I think meditation obviously to me involves there's thoughts in there. There's visions. There are things that you feel and you can just go for a walk and you're meditating. You can go for a swim and you're meditating. Mm -hmm. You don't have to mm -hmm. follow all the, the rules that you've, you know, of meditation. Um, 
and having empathy for others. I think that's the key. If we just start having more compassion and empathy for other people, that also helps us as a tool to understand ourselves. Yeah, Adela, I would say that, um, you know, you say misadventures. I think people frequently look for the destination, but they forget the journey. Yeah. Um, and what this misadventures is, is about the journey. Uh, and I think it's important that people embrace the journey no matter what it is, because the destination, we don't always know what it's going to be. Um, that sometimes is a surprise. And yes. I, I think this, you address this, this fear of being alone is a projection of the destination, um, not the journey. And what you're learning how to do is live the journey and embrace it, regardless of whether or not there is a love at the end or the perfect man or whatever it might be. So while writing the stories or the misadventures, were there especially were there any of that were especially difficult for you to put down on paper? And if so, uh, how did you overcome that? Because there's lots of stories in here. <laughs> yes, yes. I would say my first book was more difficult because that okay. I I was not used to sharing my vulnerabilities and my you know my fears, my thoughts, my feelings, and that one. I did promote as being a fictionalized memoir. So it was about me. But once I got past that, this one wasn't that, it wasn't so difficult. I felt, I feel really comfortable writing about these things now. So I would say it was more about the realization, you know, it was more about sharing it that made me a little bit worried. Writing it, I had no fear. But when it came to the, when it came to the point that I was going to publish it, I was, I thought, well, there are a lot of things in here. These people don't know. They're going to think it's me, which of course it partially is. I think all authors end up writing about themselves, whether they know it or not. Um, Especially in books like this. Yeah. But I, but I, I just said, okay, that's fine. I'm not afraid anymore. So, so there wasn't anything really difficult, mostly writing about the the big realizations about my fears and um, how I was a cause of my own suffering in many ways and made more mistakes and, and judged others. And my intuition was so messed up for a long time because of my fear. And I always went around saying, I'm very intuitive. I can tell things, I can read things. So that kind of bothered me. It made me feel like a hypocrite, but it was true because it happened to my character. It happened to me when you're fearful and in pain, you can't always use your intuition effectively. So how do, how does somebody like you, this, you teach intuitive writing workshops, um, how does someone like you help another person who's been through both the dark side of this and the bright side of it, um, help someone find that state of intuition to connect with a higher source and then trust? Because there's one thing, intuition to hear. Some people feel, feel some people see. There's all kinds mm-hmm. of different sorts of intuition that we get. Um, but when it comes to writing, uh, what are you guiding your um, students in doing to actually center themselves to be able to make this connection and then trust in it, right? I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I get an intuitive hit. 
but do I really, really move with it? Do I make any decisions based on it? Or do I just hear it or feel it and not do anything with it? There's a, and there's also the discernment side. Yes. Um, where is this coming from? As somebody who was a lawyer, I'm sure the discernment side at times was more than, uh, or I said you were in law, you said, but, um, you know, that's got to be a big deal. And how do you set people up for success with this intuitive writing? Well, in in my writing, the in the writing workshop, I have several guided meditations. I start with that. Actually, I open with, you know, with a a guided meditation that's about 20 minutes long and we go through this beautiful landscape and there are all sorts of all sorts of other, you know, other things that happen and I think that you rel- people learn to relax they open themselves up they begin to to sense feel maybe see things and just to write them down i just tell people write it down and i think the more you practice that the writing the meditation the more you begin to trust i mean you may get intuitive pings that you don't know are intuition but if you have it written down and you can look back and say oh wow that's what my intuition was trying to tell me then you grow and begin to trust um, it's, it's a process. It doesn't happen right away. I, I believe, I mean, even people who suddenly become spiritually awakened, they're not really sure what to trust. I know now what to trust for me, intuition, it's not heightened emotion and it's not logic. It's in a balance of those two things. When I feel an intuitive ping, I'm like, okay, yes. And there it is. It's not, it's just there. It's not emotional. Yeah, sometimes I think those there are big the big pings that can bring the fear out. And you have to discern, like you said, is it really my fear or is it my intuition? And uh-huh. I think that's what messes people up is the fear. We uh-huh. don't which is which until we start to experience it. So it's a it's a it's experience, really. It's experience and understanding yourself and like I said, journaling and going back and reading what you've written. Sometimes I go back and I read what I wrote a year ago and I don't, I have things I wrote down that were intuitive things. I have no idea what they mean still. And that's okay. You may not, I may not ever know, but occasionally I'll go back and I'll say, oh my gosh, this is referring to what's happening right now. Had I paid attention, would it have changed things? Maybe not because I think we're meant to follow a path and I wasn't meant to know it then. So you also have to trust that if you don't know something, it's because you don't, you're not meant to know it in that moment. Maybe you're meant to know it later and maybe you need to learn something. So that's how I look at life is just a life. It's learning. If I miss something, it's because I needed to learn something. Well, and intuition is heightened as well. I'm not going to just say through your meditation, your contemplation, your journaling. Yeah. It is inter-reflection, whatever that is for you. Right. It also changes the vibratory level at which you operate uh, and can receive messages. So messages are received as a result of a higher level of consciousness. There's another word that's used quite a bit. Yes. But the reality is, is as you upscale that, you have an opportunity to get in touch with more of it and know from a place of, is it true that it is true? Uh, right. versus you having this discerning 
uh, well, do I have to question it? Is it coming from fear or wherever it's coming from? So yes. are there any takeaways you'd want to leave uh, the listeners with from the misadventures of an imperfect woman? Because I, we, you've got these intuitive writing workshops. And for my listeners, just go to Bella Gary, B-E-L-A-G-A-R-Y.com. There you're going to find out about Bella, her writing workshops, her intuitive writing workshops, and you can connect with her there. Um, what would you say, and I'm going to hold the book up for the listeners, you can go out to Amazon, get a copy of this, um, and we'll put a link to Amazon to that. We'll also put a link to her website so that you can do that. Um, any takeaways, Bella? I think read the book as, I, I actually, I'm going to add, I don't, I, my characters don't have names, my main characters. I don't name them on purpose because I want people to be able to embody them. And I think read it as an experience that you are going through perhaps yourself and understand the character so that parts of her become, become you and it leads to a more, a better understanding of yourself. I think that's, that's a good way to read it. I think it's also fun and funny, although it's dark humor. (laughs) Some people said mm-hmm. it was dark humor, but it's, it's, um, you know, misadventures are in their own way, satirical, ironic. And, um, I think that's how, that's how the book is and be open, just be open to it and listen to not only what the character said, but what says, but the other characters, there are some little characters in there that give her advice and she's completely surprised because she's always the one that wants to give people advice. So I think it's just enjoying enjoying the journey like you said enjoying the journey of the book well and i think adventure period not misadventure yeah um, for my listeners okay some of the adventures may be misadventures mm-hmm. some of them just might be surprising adventures exactly um, where you're going to find something and the fact is is that you're moving in harmony with a spirit and you're trusting it. Exactly. Um, and I think that's the biggest part is that, you know, it whether you do a podcast show or you work for a charity or you're a lawyer, what doesn't matter what your vocation is, what are the adventures that you're taking in life? And if they turn out to be some misadventures, what are you learning from them? Uh, and I think that's the key is the learning lessons from the misadventures that occur along the way. Yes, exactly. I like your cabin example of the fear associated with the sounds and the foxes and the flashlight and coming out and so on. I think that's a really good example, actually, to be honest with you. So what are those fears that are holding you back from first taking the adventure? Uh, and then are you afraid of possibly a misadventure? <laughs> so I think just get out there and go for it. Go get a copy of this book. Bella, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. Namaste to you. Thank you for the time and uh, all the uh, good work you've done and actually putting it in a way that if somebody um, wants to read a really cool story, um, most of these personal growth books are written, as you know, you know, nonfiction. Uh, mm-hmm. This one is fiction, 
and you can get your teeth into it and enjoy it. So thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. It's been fun. Great. Really great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.